Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast hosted by Renew. My name is Chris. As you hit this new year running, we just hope that you can check out what Renew has to offer our podcast, our videos, and our conference coming up in April in Indianapolis. We're getting excited and geared up for that. So today we have Donnie Williams, who is a senior pastor in North Carolina. He is talking about how to align your staff culture. Donnie is tackling a really difficult topic of how to align church staff. I think this is really essential because the culture that flows out of that directly has to do with, is the staff aligned? Do they have the right mission together, the same mission together? Are they theologically on the same wavelength? Do they know what they believe? Are they aligned and unified in that? Or is everybody kind of doing their own thing and, you know, doing what some people call silo ministry and not working together, not believing the same things. So let's go and check out what Donnie has to say. Hopefully this can encourage you and your church in whatever situation you're in to take some positive action steps forward. Well, thanks for coming to this session. I wasn't sure uh, how many people would want to know about how to align staff and leaders, uh, but uh, this is probably one of the biggest things you'll deal with as a leader in the church. How many lead pastors are in here? How many elders are in here? I believe if this topic of aligning staff and leaders, if we don't do this well, the church is going to just become this weaker, not theologically defined institution that doesn't change the world like Jesus called us to do. And so I'm passionate about this. I went through a process that I'm going to share with you with my staff and leaders to help them get aligned. It really started a few years ago when I was reminded of a story. Uh, When my wife and I were younger, we just had two kids at the time. We went and got this little dog. I didn't want a dog, but we went and got it. And I became a dog person. I fell in love with this little dog and she was just a little white uh, puffy thing. And she was about two years old and she couldn't walk anymore. And we took her to the vet and it was very expensive. I was a college minister at the time. I uh, didn't have any money and it was costing like a hundred bucks a day to keep this dog at the vet. And then finally they call, they take her to the North Carolina State University Veterinary School uh, for the best care. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. And one day my wife calls me at work and she said, hey, uh, they know what's wrong with Daisy. You need to go and talk to the vet. So I go in, we sit down in this consultation room and they show me x-rays that she has this uh she has this tumor on her spine, and it's it's kind of causing some organs to shut down. But good news, Mr. Williams, they can uh, uh, do a surgery, and then we can fit. She'll be paralyzed on her back legs after that. and But we can fit her for a wheelchair, teach her how to expel her bladder twice a day. And, and she may, 50-50 chance, she may make it, she may not. But, uh, you know, you, you don't want to put this dog down. And I was like, okay, love my kids, like this dog. So... Um, how much is that going to cost? And they're like, well, it's $4,000. And I was like, hold on a minute. So I go outside, call my wife. She answers the phone immediately. First words, how's Daisy? And I said, she's not going to make it. <laughs> so, so, um, I made the really hard decision. Uh, and I cried as much as anybody else. It was a tough decision. Uh, she probably wouldn't have made it anyway. You have probably looked at the landscape in your church and among your staff and among the church in our country, and you've probably had the thought, we're not going to make it. Anybody thought that? Or you're not going to make it, or this staff person's not going to make it. We've all thought that. 
I can remember in the middle of 2020 going on walks in my neighborhood thinking, what else could I do for a living? I'm called to lead this church. I'm not going to stop leading it, but everything's saying it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. People aren't going to come. People aren't going to give. That's not going to keep me from leading it, but I do have to make a living. So I was thinking of all these different things that I could do for a living. And then I had this crystal clear moment with God where I was thinking of all these other things I could go do to make a living so I could still lead the church. And I I didn't hear God's voice, but I had this overwhelming sense of God saying, you take care of my church and I'll take care of you. And so that, that moment I made the decision, I'm going to take care of his church. I'm going to do it the best of my ability, no matter how many people show up or don't show up, no matter how many people give or they don't give. So a church with uh, between 25 and 30 staff, I had to figure out how am I going to lead these people who have given their lives to ministry through this time of uncertainty of not knowing what's coming. Well, then on top of that uncertainty that was making me say, are we going to make it or not? And probably made you say the same thing. A lot of other things started happening. All of a sudden we had to have answers uh, to do we wear a mask or not? Do we meet or not? How do we talk about race in a biblical way that helps unite us rather than divide us? Now we have to talk about sexuality and kids choosing pronouns and, and all the things that you're probably facing and your staff's probably facing and conversations that you have to have about it. Years ago, let's go back. Let's just go back 20 years. I've been in ministry about 25 years. You could predict pretty reasonably what a person believed if you were saying, come and join our staff or lead our staff. You could predict what their beliefs were pretty much based on where they went to college. You could look at the college or the seminary they went to and just name it. You could go, well, they went to this school, so they probably hold to this belief. And we probably had some differences in and variation in interpretation about different topics, but nothing like what people are faced with today and, and people that come out of schools that I would have been able to say, this is what they believe. And now the conversations I ended up having with staff, I was like, where did you get educated? And I'm finding out it comes from podcasts and short posts and many things that aren't theologically deep, but make bold statements that sound really good. So with all of that, you toss in a presidential election, the country more divided than it ever has been politically. And now you have a staff and leaders that are no longer aligned. Has anybody else experienced that besides me over the past couple of years? So I knew God wanted me to lead the church and I looked out and said, okay, we're not aligned. Uh, what do we need to do? Because we had been aligned around our mission. Our stated mission at our church is pretty simple. It's pretty generic. It's like a lot of other mission statements. We're all about helping people connect with God. If you would have asked me in the middle of 2020, are y'all aligned on that? Oh yeah, our staff totally aligned on that. We have three core beliefs. Jesus changes everything. People grow in community and everybody has a mission. Are you aligned on that? Yes, absolutely. We are fully aligned on that. And then we had to have some conversations about race and politics and gender and sexuality and sanctity of life. And all of a sudden, this group of 25 to 30 people, and then double that because of their spouses, I saw a big lack of alignment on some of those topics. Now, is it that big of a deal 
that staff and leaders wouldn't be aligned on some of the things I mentioned. Yes, it is a big deal. Anybody ever taken an Israel trip in here? Did anybody go to Caesarea Philippi while you were there? So when you go to Caesarea Philippi, it's just this, it's the side of a mountain. It's all rock. It's kind of beautiful. You walk over this string to get there, but you get up there and it's just all rock. And there's these ancient ruins from first century and before of all of these different idols that people would go and they would choose which God they were going to worship. So uh, if you needed your crops to be fertile or uh, you wanted to pray that your enemy uh, life was ended or whatever, you would just pick that God and you would worship that God and you would bow down to it and you would leave there feeling like, okay, I've, I've gotten an answer from this God. So in that context, in this place, Caesarea Philippi, there was also this place that they believed was the gates that went down to Hades. Who's seen that? Like it's, it's really there. There's a real big hole. You can see some water down in there, but it's kind of endless. They believe that God Pan lived down there and they did human sacrifice. Some really nasty things happened there with goats and people. Just let your imagination go. It's in that context that Jesus says in Matthew 16, a verse that we're all familiar with, when he's asking his disciples, who do people say I am? He's asking, who do you think I am? And they talk about who people think he is, but it comes down to this one statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 16 when he says, now I say to you that you're Peter, which means rock. So he's standing on a rock. He's saying, Peter, uh, hey, rock, I want you to know that upon this rock where all this pagan stuff was taking place every day where Jewish boys would never go. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and start right here. And you can imagine Jesus pointing, if you've been there, over to that big hole in the ground saying, and the powers of hell or the gates of Hades will not conquer it, will not overcome it. See, that was Jesus getting his team aligned. We're building our church in the middle of a hostile culture, but here's a promise I'm going to make. That hell, evil, Hades is not going to overcome the church. So he got his team aligned and whatever the church was going to be from that point forward, his team knew whatever difficulty comes our way, whatever happens in our world and our culture, you are not on defense, you're on offense and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. So for a long time, the church has been led in my lifetime since I've been knowing Jesus Most of that time, the church was led like we were on defense trying to keep the world out. But Jesus gave us an offensive play in Matthew 16. Go take this out to the world. And let me tell you what's not going to win. Hell won't win. So he's saying, get the gospel out. Satan is going to try to keep us from it. But you got to be aligned. So this workshop is about a way that I saw some leaders get aligned over the past 24 months. So if you're not aligned, if right now you're thinking of your team, thinking of your staff, thinking, well, we're not aligned. Here's one thing you have to realize. It's going to cause some pain to get there. It's not easy. Not everybody's going to go with you, but there's going to be some pain associated with getting aligned. So those of you that lead a team or on a team, if you were to rate right now, don't do this out loud. Um, If you were to rate one to 10, how aligned you are theologically and doctrinally 
among your team and leaders in your church? What would you, what grade would you give yourself? One being almost nothing and 10 being perfectly aligned. If you had to go back to your staff or your leaders and have a conversation, a theological conversation about gender, sexuality, or race, would you all be aligned when you had that conversation? If you had to talk about abortion, would you all be aligned? Now, those conversations have to happen. And if you're going to have people that represent the church that you lead and your local church family, you better be aligned when people start asking questions because they will. Because if we don't answer those questions with crystal clarity on the basis of the gospel, the world will answer them on the basis of hell. So we have to learn how to come together, answer those questions biblically, whether we like them or not. See, I thought we were aligned. And then all this stuff in our world started coming at us. And I realized we've been on defense because a lot of people that I call leaders that are on my staff, they, we don't say the same things about some of these topics because here's why. In the last 30 years, you know what it took to grow a church in suburban America? An entrepreneurial leader. Now, it doesn't mean that's bad. An entrepreneurial leader that probably at their core had the lost at, at their heart, wanting to change the world through winning the loss to Jesus. But an entrepreneurial leader who picked a city, built a team, did some community events, sent out some mailers, got a great worship leader and a kids director. The music is loud and the lights would spin and throw some pop music in there every now and then and do four or five week series on different topics that tickle people's ears. And you could grow a church. And if you speak well, it could get big especially in suburban America. But all of a sudden our world changed and things got really complex, really fast and really complex. So I looked around at the staff I was leading and the people I was responsible for leading. And I thought they're just not aligned. And here's the biggest lesson I learned about alignment in leadership is that alignment creates momentum and lack of alignment kills it. So maybe if you're feeling like we just can't get momentum, we've been back meeting on a regular basis for 18 months, 24 months, however long it's been, and we just can't get momentum. There could be a lot of things associated with that, but maybe it's because there's lack of alignment. You know, uh, I am a, I am not ashamed that I've been a Miami Dolphins fan for many, many years, especially this year. I'm not, they're doing better, right? When a football team takes the field, how many plays are on the field at any given time? There's two plays. There's an offensive play and there's a defensive play. What if there were 22 different plays on the field at one time? It would be chaos. So every time I talk to my leaders about alignment, I say, you may not like this. You may not agree with this. We can talk about it if you don't agree because you can't lead if you don't agree. But this is about alignment. And my responsibility in leading this church is to keep us aligned. This is our play. And we go through our belief statement. This is the play we're going to play. You don't have to play this play. But if you're going to be on our team, you're going to play this play. And so this is a little bit of a story about how we took a team that was not aligned And not only did we bring the staff along and align them, we have about 150 group leaders in our church. We aligned them. 
And the ones that didn't get aligned, I'll tell you what happened to them later. They're not leading anymore. But it wasn't easy. At times it was painful, but it was worth it. Like I said, in the past, you could predict pretty pretty close what somebody believed based on the school they went to. Well, that's no longer the case. So here are, here are five steps that we went through that I think will help anybody get aligned. So the first thing that I did, I realized that we needed to, step number one, we needed to define some key words. Because I had a staff person that we were talking about scripture. And that person would say, yes, I believe scripture is inspired. Who believes scripture is inspired? Of course, we all do. But to that person, inspiration was, well, Da Vinci was also inspired. And Dr. King was also inspired. And while those people did have inspiration to do what they did, saying that that's on the level that the Apostle Paul was miraculously and supernaturally inspired by the Holy Spirit is heresy. But hey, you think, uh, 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 do we believe the Bible is inspired word of God? Oh yeah, Donnie, I'm in. I totally believe that. But when you dig a little deeper, because if you don't believe that, how can you say you believe in the authority of scripture? If anybody can get inspired and go write some new scripture, it doesn't make it special. It doesn't make it supernatural. So the first place is to start and say, hey, do we all believe that these words mean the same thing? Or are we using the same words to describe different things? If you've ever studied progressive Christianity or the deconstruction movement, the same words are used to describe heresy. So inspiration, yeah, they were just inspired. It was their best attempt to reach out to God, their best attempt to to come before God and, and interpret who God was to them. And they were so inspired to do that. But it's different for us today. But yeah, we believe in the inspiration of scripture. Another word, you need to make sure everybody understands. What's the word love? What does that mean? Because in our culture and the way kids are taught in public schools and some Christian schools is that love means acceptance. But 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with what? Truth. So love, biblically defined, means I want what's best for you. I want you to live the life that God has for you. Sometimes that means I have to confront things that you need to stop doing or attitudes that you have or actions or lifestyles or whatever. But that doesn't mean I don't love. It means I do. It's like if you had anybody ever have a three-year-old. So from three to five or six, they think you don't love them because you won't let them do anything they want to do, right? You don't love me, dad. You won't let me eat ice cream every time I want to eat ice cream. You don't love me. You won't let me stay up as late as I want to stay up. No, I do love you. That is why I'm saying these things to you and I'm asking you to do these things. So it's really important, especially if you have younger staff and younger leaders like we do, They didn't grow up in a world where love was clearly defined. They grew up in a world where love is defined by accepting. False teaching. It's another thing you have to define. What is false teaching? You know how much the Apostle Paul talks about false teaching? That's why he wrote most of his letters is to tell the church, look out for these false teachers. 
So you better define what false teaching is before you start talking about, well, what do we all believe? One thing that we did that was probably the most helpful, we chose, uh, we just chose a book. It was a book that a friend recommended. Uh, It's a book called Another Gospel. There's a lot of books like that. Uh, But we read that book together as a staff. It's about uh, the authors of Lisa Childers. And we read that together because she goes through all of these things I'm talking about. The definition of love, the definition of inspiration. What does deconstruction really mean? What does that look like? And she has a great podcast. And so during our time of having staff meetings only on Zoom, we read that book together. And it became clear who was struggling with alignment. Next thing. These may definitely define keywords first. The rest of these don't have to be in order, but this is the way we did it. The second thing is to develop a social media policy. The staff, now you can't, you can't police leaders that are volunteer leaders. I'm talking about people that are staff, a social media policy that says you may not like, share, or post anything that's out of alignment with our beliefs. That sounds restrictive. That sounds oppressive. You represent the church when you work for the church. You represent Jesus. This is our this is our team play that we're playing. Here's our relief statement. You may not post anything. You don't have to take this job, but just know if you do. If you work at Apple and you start posting how awesome Android phones are, they'll fire you. You can only post how awesome Apple phones are, right? iPhone's the greatest thing in the world. And you you better say the iPad's right there with it or it's going to happen. You post for the other team, they're going to fire you. So people should not be surprised when we leaders of the church say, you can only post things that are in alignment with the play that we've agreed to play. I had a friend not too long ago ask me, he's a a lead pastor of a large church. And he said, hey, with all this, uh, uh, with all this, Roe versus Wade stuff in the news. And this was before the final ruling. It was when the leak happened. And he was wanting to know, how do you get, how do you keep your staff from posting about that? Mine are just posting and putting all these opinions out there. How do you keep them from it? And I was like, they won't. Because we agreed already. And if they're going to have integrity, they won't post. And not one did. And probably some of you have staff or leaders that posted in support of something that is clearly not of God. That's clearly against scripture. Then you're ready to draft a belief statement. Like a strong, clear belief statement. Ours had three big elements. And we have our belief statement on our website. If you go to lifepointchurch.com, lifepoint with an E, you can read the belief statement, but not all of that is in there. All of what I'm going to tell you is in there. And the reason is, So we don't define sexuality or marriage on our website because that's more than just a line. Like that's something we need to talk about in a world that's really struggling with it. So we don't, we don't talk about any of that. We have some very basic, clear beliefs. Uh, That's for people that are just wanting to come to our church because anybody can come to our church, right? Our doors are closed to nobody. So we had three big elements, the word of God, sanctity of life, gender and sexuality. So I presented that to our staff and there's probably 15 or 20 bullet points. I presented that to them and I said, 
if you're not aligned, because it's the first time we'd said, here's a staff belief statement, because I just assume they believe certain things. And in the interview process, we might ask a few questions, but hey, our church is growing. It's fast. You have expertise in this. Let's hire you. Let's go. We'll work out the details later. That was kind of how we did it. That was a mistake. You've probably heard the statistic that says that the average first-time visitor to your church decides within seven minutes if they're not coming back. So what are they encountering in those seven minutes that has the potential to make or break their experience? I'm Abby Barris, designer and ministry veteran, and I would love to help you make those seven minutes as effective as possible. You can find me at abbybarrisinteriors.com or at churchdesignhelp.com to learn more about how I can help you create strategic spaces that support your processes, communicate your values, and make space for everyone. And so I'm in front of, you know, up to 30 people and their spouses. And I'm saying, look, read through this. And I taught through it. And I said, if you're not aligned, I want to help you get aligned. If you struggle with some of these, I want to help you get there where you don't. And if you can't get aligned, you can't be on the team. And we lost some staff because of that, because they just couldn't. And nothing was, there wasn't anything mean or nasty or nobody posted anything, but some of them just slowly faded out of the picture as staff and leaders because they couldn't get aligned. Now, if you would rewind in my life five years prior to that, I would have said, that's too harsh. You should not lead a staff like that. That is too harsh. It's too rigid. But it, it, it's like the, what's the game? Uh, what's that game, kids? Like there's a line over there and a line over here and... Red Rover. Yeah. And so when you have somebody that's not aligned, it's like evil's running through the line and breaking the chain. And so even though prior, I would have thought it was harsh. And then I saw the results. So the results of all that growth and all the suburban church planning movement in our country and all the big churches that are out there, has it produced stronger disciples of Christ or weaker ones? See, now it's been 30 years. So we can look back and say, I don't, I, I couldn't say stronger. I don't, it doesn't mean that people didn't grow strong and grow strong theologically through that. But I couldn't say that the strength of the church has matched the numerical growth of the church in our country. And so alignment will help you get there. So we have a belief statement and every August, they have to renew that belief statement. I just went through it. Had a staff meeting in August, put them up on the screen, read through every single one of them. Anybody, and it's the same staff that was there prior. Nobody was new. Anybody got any questions? Everybody's still here. Great. You're going to get an email. And I want you to go in that Google Doc. And I want you to check on the bottom. And what they check is this. I believe, I support, and I will defend the beliefs of LifePoint Church. So believing it is one thing, supporting it means you have to be aligned with it. And then defending it means you have to educate yourself on how to have conversations around those things. This sounds like I'm such an inflexible person. I'm really not because, because my next, my next point is don't be flexible. Here's why. If a football team goes on the field and said, look, I think you should do this, but if you feel like doing something different, you do something different. And, and hey, if, if you get in the middle of that play and you feel like changing things up and running the, the next play, just go ahead and start doing that. It would be mass chaos. Our job's to move the ball down the field. 
to be witnesses for Christ and make disciples. And if we're going to do that, we have to have a play that we're playing. Now, what is it? Oh, it's the Bible. Well, there's a lot of words in there. And not everybody's going to come out of, out of, we have a lot of staff at our church that didn't even go to Bible college. In some cases, that's a good thing. And so they don't know. And so we have to help. We're going to align around the statement. We're not going to be flexible. And here's why. Because God has no patience for the things that divide us. If something is dividing us, God has no patience with it. God has no patience. Read Romans 1 about the wrath of God. God's wrath is towards the things that divide us from him. And I would extend that to say anything that divides people in the church. If we wait and try to be nice and like, well, let's wait, let's wait. Of course, you help people gently try to come along. But if they can't and won't, it's time for them not to have any position of influence in the church you're leading. And then so after the first four keywords, social media policy, belief statement, decide you're not going to be flexible. Then for new people come along, this one's just for staff. For our new staff that come along, if you applied for a position, we have several open right now. If, if not be, if not because they couldn't believe it, it was for other reasons. They moved home, the great resignation, all that stuff. We developed a document of approach. And all of our current staff had to read it. It's, a, it's several hours of homework. It's watching videos. It's reading blogs. It is listening to podcasts. And here are the topics that we have. We could change at any time. Right now, it addresses progressive Christianity. What is progressive Christianity? Because that is a move that's really out there. It sound, I wish it was called something else besides Christianity because it is a movement that seeks to dismantle the faith that we all hold so dear. So educate the staff. This is what progressive Christianity is. You, we work here. You're on this team. You're going to know what that is, be able to talk about it. The authority of scripture is the next one. What does it mean to hold up God's word as authoritative? It means that when Jesus says, deny yourself, I mean, I have studied the Greek. I have looked at what Jesus said there over and over. And you know what he means when he says, deny yourself, deny yourself. That's what he means. He means that there's things you want to do. You can't do so. The authority of scripture has to be fully agreed upon. Uh, the document of approach has stuff about sexuality, how to address sexuality, whether it's uh, gender or homosexuality, uh, biblical marriage, all that. How to talk about race from a biblical perspective. When you talk about race from a biblical perspective, it brings people together. It does not divide them. So anywhere race is talked about that continues to divide, it's not biblical. But I've watched my brothers and sisters of all races approach it from a biblical perspective and watch them come together in unity around Christ. The world's not going to approach race like that. The church should not approach race like that, even though it does in many cases. The gospel will unite us 100% of the time. So they read that document, watch those videos. It's, it's a couple hours of, of work. We even have our interns do it before they come into an internship residency. They have to watch that. 
It's got questions where they can comment, where they can ask questions, and it's always reviewed before hiring. And I learned that the hard way because we did not do that. And somebody would get on staff, maybe somebody that I didn't have a personal conversation with, and then we would find out that they didn't know we believed something and they believed something different. And now somebody's been harmed. Somebody made in the image of God is now harmed because we didn't do our job in making it clear where we stood on issues. And we did have one person, I would say they were emotionally harmed. Now their belief was wrong, but it wasn't their fault that they got in that position without ever knowing what we believed. So when do you start doing that? The very first conversation, very first conversation, never too early in the process. Right now we are, uh, we look, we're looking for a kid's director. And so they would be leading several hundred kids, 250 plus kids at one campus and probably 50 or so at another campus. And so that, that takes some skill. That's not just, hey, I think you should come do that. So we're looking for this kids director. And this week I have had two conversations of two people with two people who were extremely qualified. Five years ago, we said, we're hiring them and we'll work the other stuff out later. But then one of them, we engaged in a conversation and we found out we weren't aligned on uh, on that particular one. It was the role of women in the church. We had a very, uh, a very great email exchange. I wish him well. May God bless you. But I found that when someone comes here with this belief, his belief was egalitarian. I don't ever use that word except around pastors and church leaders. But we found out that was his belief. That's not our belief. And I just said, I found out when somebody comes on staff that holds to that firmly, uh, we tend to have issues in other areas. And so this is not going to be a fit, but God bless you. And we had a great email exchange. And then another one, I totally eliminated, just eliminated them just by looking at their social media feed. And they were highly qualified. So now it's a little more complex. You want to look for highly qualified people. And then you also want to look for people who align with, uh, with your doctrine and your theology. So that's what I did with staff. What do you do with leaders? Well, once we settled that with staff, we did a similar process with our volunteer leaders. Now you can't fire a volunteer leader. You can't make them follow a a policy. We do make suggestions that their post should reflect the gospel of Christ, but you can not give them position of leadership if they're not aligned because it's necessary. And so we met with all of our leaders, 150 plus, and it was broadcast so they could watch it later. We recorded it broadcast so they could watch it at home or watch it later. And we just taught the belief statement, gave, uh, I think we gave a month for uh, feedback and questions. And then if they weren't aligned, they couldn't lead. And I think we only had three that say said, I can't align. And all that was around biblical marriage. Uh, they just couldn't align and they don't lead anymore. Uh, as far as I know, two of them still go to our church and are active. So we use that belief statement when we onboard new leaders. Um, anybody that's a leader, because a question, well, who's a leader? Anybody that shepherds other people, like a greeter, I wouldn't call them a leader. We don't, we don't make them sign a belief statement. So why do this? Why go through all of this, all those steps I talked about, some of the pain I talked about, because the mission is too important to let anything get in the way. Our mission is too important to let anything get in the way. In Acts 2.42, here's what they devoted. It says they devoted themselves to what? First thing was what? Apostles teaching. Second thing was what? Fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So those were the four things they devoted themselves to. The first one was apostles teaching. That's theology. So they devoted themselves to understanding what the apostles taught and what it meant. 
and then fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Our mission is too important to try to lead a team that's not aligned. We will not move the ball down the field. Jesus has already promised us, no matter how big or small your staff gets, he's already promised us that the gates of hell, hell will not prevail against his church. And so if we're going to lead his church, we need to do it effectively and efficiently and run a play in unity that can push Satan back down into hell. Thank you again for joining the Real Life Theology Podcast. We're going to have another episode on Tuesday. We're going to start a sermon series that we are pulling excerpts out of that are really powerful and good and encouraging. So make sure to check back with us on Tuesday next week, and we're going to get rolling on that together.